What's up, Crime Turner Nation, and welcome to another mini-sode of As the Crime Turns. I'm your host, Desmond Devell, and I'd like to thank you all for listening today. If it's your first time listening and you enjoy what you hear, I do ask that you subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. Also, check out our website at www.asthecrimeturnspodcast.com. All right, I won't hold us up any longer. I know I've held up long enough. Here's the latest mini-sode. Stonewall. The Stonewall riots were a pivotal period for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people all over the world, but more specifically in the heart of New York City. You see, as some of you may know, during the 50s and 60s, people who identified as one of the above faced an anti-gay legal system. Very few establishments welcomed openly gay people. On the night of June 28, 1969, even though she heavily denied it, a drag queen's rage and fury for equal treatment sparked an uproar that would eventually change the course of history, not only in New York City, but all over the United States. This is the story of Marsha, pay it no mind, Johnson. Marsha was born Malcolm Michaels Jr. on August 24, 1945. Growing up in Elizabeth, New Jersey was difficult for Marsha. Her parents, Malcolm Michaels Sr., and Alberta Claiborne ran a very devout Christian home. Oftentimes, a young homosexual Malcolm found himself very uncomfortable. Marcia had six brothers and sisters. In an interview conducted on Marcia in 1992, she stated she was sexually assaulted as a boy. And from that point, she never thought being gay could be something real. She promised herself to remain asexual until she got to the age she could run off to the city. In 1963, at the age of 17, Malcolm graduated from Thomas Edison High School and set off to a new life with nothing more than $15 and a bag of old watch clothes. As soon as she set foot in New York City, Marcia landed a job waiting tables and would soon move to Greenwich Village where she would find solace in other gay people. 
When it came to how she identified herself, Marsha would often find herself going back and forth with names, but she knew one thing for sure. She would always be in dresses moving forward. She initially decided she would be Black Marsha for obvious reasons. She would eventually lose the Black and settle with Marsha. She added an initial, P, and the last name Johnson for her favorite restaurant and lounge at the time, D. Howard Johnson. The P stood for Pay It No Mind. This slogan was her resolve to the question of her sex and identity, as in Pay It No Mind, What I Am. Today, according to Susan Stryker, a University of Arizona professor, Marsha would be considered gender nonconforming. By 1966, Marsha P. Johnson was living on the streets of Greenwich Village and using her body to make ends meet. Her escorting and prostitution led Marsha to be arrested over a hundred times. Though Greenwich was tolerant of the LGBT community, it wasn't accepted as some would say. Technically, at the time, it would be illegal to be in drag and cross-dress in public. Police would frequently harass those who didn't identify with gender norms. As a best practice, they would sporadically raid the gay bars and inns, arresting or publicly humiliating those that were inside. Thinking about the time during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, your career, your social life, and many things could be ruined if people showed shame upon your sexuality. It would be hard for most of these people to obtain jobs which would lead them to be homeless. Despite the hardship, Marsha would find solace in being a drag queen and gracing the Greenwich Village community with her optimism of better days. Marsha was known for parading the streets of Greenwich Village with her positive attitude and bright, flashy outfits. They would include, of course, dresses, heels, long, bright wigs, and even plastic accessories she found on the street, including flowers, fruit, and sometimes even Christmas lights. I was a nobody from Nowheresville until I became a drag queen, said Marsha during the 1992 interview. Sadly, she never developed a love life. She kept hold of her religious upbringing and believed, quote, Jesus would be the only man she ever loved, quote. People who knew Marcia would often call her Saint Marcia because she was so giving and gracious. She would often go to church and pray for any friends who would ask. Despite all the warmth and love that flowed from Marcia, she was known to go back and forth with her personalities, battling between Malcolm and Marcia. While Marcia was a bulb of joy, Malcolm was a very angry man who would go out and look for conflict, drama, and oftentimes violence. It was this side of Marcia that led her to be banned from many of the bars that were tolerant of LGBTQ people at that time. Getting to the juice. On the night of June 28, 1969, a heavy group of partiers were in and out of the Greenwich Village Inn when the inn was raided by police. Now, typically, most of the partygoers would run to avoid being embarrassed, humiliated, or worse, arrested. But this particular night, they kept partying. When the police pushed, they shoved back. And from that point, the Stonewall riots had begun. Gay people were revolting for the right to have a good time publicly and be free. In the midst of this was the pioneer, Marsha P. Johnson. As I mentioned before, she would oftentimes deny it was her. For so many soldiers that night, referenced that it was Marsha, shouting from the top of her lungs and throwing bottles for the equality of her people. My name is Sylvia Rivera, and I'm giving permission 
to have this filmed. When I met Marsha, must have been like 12 years old. She was like a mother to me. Marsha was an icon of the gay movement. Marsha was known through the world. Marsha and I, we were the liberators. The street people and the drag queens were the vanguard of the movement. We're the ones that stood the forefronts and fought the cops off, and we're the ones that didn't mind getting our heads bashed in. When I first came to the style ball, mm -hmm. I was the only drag queen there just about. Mm -hmm. I said, honey, why do you think I'm a boy or a girl? They didn't ask, I just go in. Because <laughs> it was an all men's bar. very nice campy little bar owned by the mafia you know gay people were not allowed in bars the mafia would pay off the cops typical of that era it was hard being a drag queen back then because they would take us into jail for no reason at all we lived in an era that was unreal out on black beauties and scotch. We were dancing, my lover and I. The next thing we know that the lights came on and hey, we're being raided. Queens started being filed out and being, you know, put into police cars and guns had been drawn. Molotov cocktails were flying. And I'm like, oh my God, the revolution is here, thank God. You've been treating us like shit all these years? Uh-uh, now it's our turn. When I got downtown, the place was already on buying them. They'll be burying them over in the park having a cocktail. And we were in the streets turning over cars and, oh my God, blocking traffic and screaming and hollering and everything. I mean, there was a lot of bloodshed that night and the movement started the next day things would be shaky from that point but would eventually get better for not only the lgbtq people in new york city but all over the united states as for marcia she went on to do great things she became a founding member of the gay liberation Front, an alliance that emerged after stonewall the gay liberation front was an inclusive membership for pro lgbt liberation groups Why are you here today? Darling, I want my gay rights now. I think it's about time the gay brothers and sisters got their rights, and especially the women. How <laughs> will this affect you and your job? Darling, I don't have a job. I'm on welfare. <laughs> I have no intention of getting a job as long as this country discriminates against homosexuals. There's only homosexuals, bisexuals, and trisexuals, darling. And there's no straight people. Because yeah. it is trying out women, honey. In 1970, 
After what was known today as the Weinstein Hall sit-ins, Marsha and lifetime sister Sylvia Rivera found its star, the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. STAR was a street coalition created to provide shelter and resources to New York's underprivileged gay youth and sex workers. Both Sylvia and Marsha were oftentimes homeless. When they could afford a hotel room, they bring in friends from the street. According to a 1992 interview of Sylvia at Workers World, quote, STAR was for the street gay people, the street homeless people, and anybody that needed help at that time. Marsha and I had always sneaked people into our hotel rooms. Marsha and I decided to get a building. We were trying to get away from the mafia's control at the bars, quote. Three years after it formed in 1973, Star was dead. Quote, we died in 1973, the fourth anniversary of Stonewall. That's when we were told we were a threat and an embarrassment to women because lesbians felt offended by our attire and us wearing makeup. It came down to a brutal battle on the stage that year at Washington Square Park between me and people I considered my comrades and friends, quote, said Sylvia in the novel Queens in Exile, The Forgotten Ones. In 1975, Marsha owned the title Centerfold after Andy Warhol captured her timeless photos in his Ladies and Gentlemen collection depicting drag queen nightlife at the Gilded Grape in New York City. This picture is our cover art for this week's story. Be sure to check out our Instagram for more info. For the next two decades, Marsha continued to be an advocate for LGBTQ and their civil rights. The gay rights movement consumed her. She battled social causes, fought the police, and unfortunately battled her on-again, off-again personality, Malcolm. Later in life, Marsha would often find herself in and out of mental hospitals. In 1990, she was diagnosed with the HIV AIDS virus. She wouldn't announce it publicly until two years later, June 26, 1992 to be exact, during a video interview. The summer of 1992 would change things forever. Marsha was growing increasingly sick and in a fragile state, according to her dear friend, Randy Wicker. June 29th, pride kicked off. Hundreds poured into New York to celebrate gay liberation while begging for the public's acceptance and understanding. Those who parted with Marsha didn't realize it would be the last time they saw her. Shortly after the 1992 Pride Parade in Greenwich Village, Marsha was found floating in the Hudson River. She was 46 years old. Police initially declared Marsha's death a suicide. Those who knew Marsha, her friends, family, and close loved ones fought this claim. Marsha showed signs of mental illness throughout her life and the medical records proved that, but according to her family, she was never suicidal. Rumors floated over the next few years in regards to what could have possibly happened to Marsha Johnson. Some say she was allegedly killed by a neighborhood resident on the night of the parade. Others say it was allegedly the mob and they were tired of Marsha's public protest for the equality of LGBTQ people. The list flowed on and on. For 20 years, Marsha's death was regarded as a suicide until Mariah Lopez in 2012 and Victoria Cruz in 2016 fought to get the case reopened as a homicide. The New York Times announced in May 2019 
that Marcia and her close sister, Sylvia, would be getting their own statue in the Greenwich Village area. If you want to know more about the LGBTQ icon, Marsha P. Johnson, please check out The Life and Death of Marsha Johnson on Netflix and Pay It No Mind by Michael Casino on YouTube. I will place these links on the As the Crime Turns podcast website under this mini-sode. I want to close out today's mini-sode with a trailblazer in the LGBTQ community today paying homage to the trailblazer which started when I think about all. Sylvia and Marsha, I think what I owe to them is this history of struggle, this history um, of fighting and being pushed aside and fighting some more and never giving up on the fight. And I think it's so important for us to remember them and to remember the truth of their lives and the truth of their struggle so that we don't repeat um, this disregard for certain people and certain populations. It took some street queens and hustlers to fight back against the police on that faithful day in 1969. And that moment was a catalyst for, for a movement that has... Um, brought us years later marriage equality, but and hopefully will bring us um, equal protections for trans people on a federal level. When we think about the truth of their lives and how they struggled and how they lived, I think it's it should be a lesson. And their example was to love and give no matter what. Um, Star's legacy is that. That's it for today's mini-sode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed. If you are a new listener and you enjoyed what you heard, I ask that you do subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you have Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and review. We love your feedback. As always, remember to check out the As the Crime Turns website to find additional details and extras about each story. I recommend browsing while listening if you can. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram at Ask the Crime Turns Podcast and on Twitter at Ask the Crime Turns. Until next time, I'm Desmond Dervell, and this is Ask the Crime Turns. <laughs>